Well, we're in the book of Acts. We uh, just finished Acts chapter 16. We're going to start Acts chapter 17. I've entitled uh, the message, Right Side Up. And speaking of up, why don't you stand up uh, for the reading of God's Word out of love and respect and esteem for the Holy Scriptures. We'll begin in Acts 17, verse 1. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I preach to you, is the Christ. Some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women, joined Paul and Silas. But the Jews were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace, and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Jason has harbored them, and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying, there is another king, Jesus. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the privilege that we have to study Scripture. Thank you for Dr. Luke, as he was inspired by the Holy Spirit, recorded these actual historical events as they occurred. Thank you for the details that he adds to the story to uh, just add the authenticity and the credibility to the biblical story. Thank you, Father, that your word will find a home in our hearts and will not simply be hearers of the word but doers. Holy Spirit, speak to your church. Speak to your people today from the Scriptures, and we ask and pray this in the names above every name, the name of Jesus. And all of God's people said, you may be seated. I love how Dr. Luke begins this story in the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul and his ministry team. It sounds like just another road trip, right? They leave Philippi where they had been arrested, beaten, and a great miracle occurred, and we we preached on that a couple of weeks ago. And he leaves Philippi, travels 33 miles to Amphipolis, and then Apollonia, another 30 miles, and then he goes over to Thessalonica, another 37 miles. Well, over 100 miles was the trek for Paul and his ministry team to go and preach the gospel. It wasn't an easy uh, journey either. And sometimes those are the details that are left out when we simply rush through the reading or the study of Scripture. These details are very important. And it really speaks to our life. Anytime you move from one season to the next or one spiritual place to the next spiritual place in your life, it's not a walk in the park. It's going to take effort and commitment and perseverance and determination to get from where you're at today to where God wants you to be in the future. Now, as we recall, the Apostle Paul, he was an apostle to the Gentiles. So he primarily preached and tailored his message to the non-Jewish world that he was preaching to. The Apostle Peter, on the other hand, he was called to minister to his own brethren, the Jewish people. So when Paul would go into a city, he would look for a local synagogue, which was like a a New Testament church, where Jews and Greeks that had a fear of God and a belief in God, would gather together. There, Paul would begin to preach Christ. He would begin to 
tell and demonstrate from the Scriptures that Jesus was Messiah, that he had to suffer and he had to die. Well, amazingly, many of the the non-Jewish people received this message and received Christ and were persuaded, but many Jews were not. And uh, they, out of anger and spite and envy, they attacked Jason's house, thinking that Paul and Silas were there, but they had already escaped. And they dragged poor Jason out and began to trouble and torment him. And the verse, the phrase, the statement that caught my attention is found in verse 6 of Acts 17, the latter part of that verse. It says, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. What a phrase, what a statement. Now, this is not a statement that was made by Christian people, by Paul, one of his team, ministry team members. This statement is divinely recorded, but it is a statement that was made by the haters or the enemies of the cross of Christ. It was said by the leader of the mob that was persecuting the Christians here in Acts chapter 17. And what an interesting phrase. These people who are turning the world upside down have come here also. I want to talk about living right side up in an upside down world. Now, many of you, you've heard a motivational speaker, everyone always refers to what type of person are you? Are you a half glass full or a half glass empty type of person? But I think the better question is not are you a, half, a glass half empty or a glass half full type of person. The important question is, is the glass upright or is it upside down? I think that's where we need to start, right? Is your glass upside down or is it right side up? You see, the world views you as a Christ follower, as a Jesus person, as a person that adheres to the teachings of Christ and the teachings of Scripture and the holy commandments of God. And when you share that with others, and the potential outcome is when you share Christ with others, others can be persuaded, others can believe, receive Jesus, and once Christ comes into your life, your world that starts out upside down is actually turned right side up. When Jesus found you, and when Jesus found me, our world was upside down. And the only way we can go right side up in an upside down world is when we hear, receive, and believe the good news of Jesus Christ. He comes into our life, and he changes our life. So how do we live right side up in an upside down world? See, the world looks at you and says, you're a troublemaker. The world looks at you and says, you're trying to mess up the apple cart. We've got everything going quite well in the world, right? And then you come along and you say, no, but here's what Scripture teaches. No, this is the way God wants us to live. No, this is what his holy commandments say about this, that, or the other. And you are labeled a troublemaker. Really, we're not trying to turn the world upside down. We're trying to help an upside down world get right side up. Our phones have some amazing technology. Our phones allow us to, I've got this cool picture, you know, of a great white shark. It's an actual picture that was taken. It looks like the old Jaws uh, poster for the first Jaws movie that came out. But look, look at what's cool of our technology in our phones. I can do this, and it changes. I can, however I move my phone, it goes right side up. It, it, it follows along because there's this internal technology 
uh, a gyroscope inside of our phone that detects when you're moving backwards, when you're moving forwards, when you go left, when you go right, when you go down, when you go up. Matter of fact, those of you that play immersive video games on your phone, it's that technology that allows you to do that. Wouldn't it be cool if in our lives, we had an internal gyroscope, we had the technology that when it seems as though our world is spinning out of control, we're not disoriented, we know who we are, we know where we are, we know where we're going, and we know what Scripture teaches, and we're allowing the Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us. Now, pilots, those of you that are pilots, you know that a pilot can suffer from spatial disorientation. Uh, it is, it's called vertigo where you could be flying a plane, and if you're not instrument rated, you literally could be flying a plane upside down, headed to the ground, and you think you're flying parallel to the horizontal curvature of the planet. But really, you're not. You feel like you're flying right side up, but you're not. You're suffering from spatial disorientation. There are so many people in our world that are suffering from spiritual spatial disorientation. They think they're flying right side up, but they're flying upside down, and they're headed to the ground fast and furious, and they're going to crash, and they're going to burn, because we need to know whether what we believe and how we're living is in alignment with God's truth or not because the world around us is spinning out of control. The world around us is confused and dazed, and they're suffering from spatial disorientation. Who's your favorite superhero? My favorite superhero of all time was like Superman, because like he was like the baddest of them all, right? And uh, there was a time in the early comic strip books of Superman where he was hit with some kind of a radioactive gamma ray, and what happened was there was an identical clone of Superman that was produced in this particular comic strip. And this Superman was a bad version of the original Superman. This Superman was the complete opposite of Superman. Matter of fact, this Superman lived on a cube-shaped planet called uh, Hatra, which is Earth backwards. It's spelled Earth backwards, Hatra. Because on this cube-shaped planet, this, this mutated version of Superman Everything was backwards. It, the place was called Bizarro. And now it's called California, by the way. I, I, you, you may not know that. Uh, <laughs> so we love you in California. We're praying for you. Not everybody could live in Texas. So, so on this planet, get this, on this planet, everything was backwards. What was up was down, what was down was up, what was good was bad, was bad was good. Everything was inverted. Everything was upside down. Everything was backwards. So beauty, something that was beautiful on earth was ugly on Hattar. And something that was ugly on Hattar was beautiful on earth because everything was upside down. That's the world that we live in today. We live in a world that's upside down. And we're trying to live right side up in our thinking, in our marriages, in our relationships, in our parenting, in our business, in leading, in finance, in every area of our life. According to the teachings of Scripture, we want to live right side up in an upside down world. It's becoming increasingly difficult because the world is spinning out of control and many Christians are losing their bearings. They're suffering from spatial disorientation and they don't even know it. They're thinking like the world, acting like the world, living like the world, and talking like the world. I remember reading a book many, many years ago uh, by Max Licato, and he tells the story of a thief that breaks into a department store. Instead of stealing merchandise, what he does throughout the night is he, he transfers 
ticket prices. Uh, the price tag on something cheap, he puts it on something expensive. The price tag on something expensive, he places it on something cheap so that the next day when they open up for business, people are coming in and they're buying something quite expensive very cheaply and they're buying something that's, of no exp- uh, that's not worth very much and they're paying a lot of money for it. You see, the devil is like that thief. The, Jesus said the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The devil has come, and he has altered our understanding of what is cheap and what is valuable. And in the culture we live in today, the devil and the world takes that which is valuable and makes it cheap and takes that which is cheap and makes it valuable. We need to learn how to live right side up in an upside-down world. I mean, take for example, I mean, they, they have nude restaurants now. Not in Texas, I don't think. Maybe Austin, pray for them. <laughs> right? I mean, I guess it's bad enough being grossed out going to a restaurant to eat, you know what I'm saying? Like, hopefully people wash their hands, but like, nude? Are you kidding me? Have we lost our minds? Yes. I'm not a clinical psychologist, but as an amateur psychologist, I think we've lost our minds. I just saw on the news that uh, San Francisco, you know, first pot was legalized. It's always just the, 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 the camel's nose in the tent, as they say. Now, shrooms in Oakland City Council in California on Tuesday voted unanimously to decriminalize hallucinogenic fungi. So now, now it's not just pot. I mean, like LSD and heroin. All, I mean, eventually all drugs are going to be legal, legalized, and they're following Denver, Colorado, which decriminalized uh, psychedelic mushrooms some time ago. Really, that's what we need. We don't have enough people strung out on alcohol. God bless them and God bless you if you're struggling. We now not only have enough people strung out on marijuana, now they're going to be driving cars with uh, psychedelic hallucinogenic mushrooms that they're snorting, sniffing, smoking, eating, chewing, spitting, whatever they do with that stuff. I mean, How do we maintain our spatial orientation in a world that's gone nuts? Reldo Wolf Emerson, his uh, famous essay, Self-Reliance, I reread it. I reread it the other day, and it's it's absolutely amazing. And there's a a couple of statements in there I want to share with you. Uh, He says in that, he says, for for nonconformity, the world whips you with its displeasure, and therefore man must know how to estimate a sour face. What a profound statement. You see, when you don't think like the world, act like the world, believe like the world, and do what the world does, and celebrate what the world celebrates, the world looks at you with displeasure. And you have to be able to estimate the sour face. As God told Jeremiah and Ezekiel, he said, don't fear their faces. When you go to preach, they're going to get angry with you, but don't let them intimidate you. As Ezekiel said, you must warn the wicked to turn from their wicked ways, because if you don't warn the wicked to turn from their wicked ways, I will require their blood on your hands. So it's not out of hatred for people that we want to warn wicked people to turn from their wicked ways. It's out of love for God and love for people that we want to let you know you're living upside down, and God wants you to live right side up. Amen. He goes on to say in that famous essay, a foolish consistency Foolish consistency is the hobgoblin of little minds adored by little statesmen and philosophers and diviners. Foolish consistency is the hobgoblin of little minds. It's so easy to think like the rest of the world, to be another dead fish floating downstream. 
It takes faith. It takes courage. It takes valor to go against the grain. And not out of hatred, not out of spite, but out of love. Say, here's what I believe. Here I stand. My conscience is captive to the Word of God. Here I stand. Here I shall die, but I shall not recant, as Martin Luther said long ago at the Diet of Worms. This is what I believe. And I'm not going to allow the world to change what I believe because the world is upside down and Jesus has turned my life right side up. Amen. And I want him to fill my cup to the overflow. So do we have a spiritual gyroscope that keeps us spatially oriented in a world that's spinning out of control with all the mass confusion that is spreading throughout the world? Yes. What is it? Scripture reading, Sabbath remembering, Savior receiving, and serving rejoicingly. The first one, Scripture reading. Uh, Once again, it says in verse 2 of Acts 17, then Paul, as his custom, as his custom, was, went to them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures. You see, Paul, knowing the terror of the Lord, persuaded men and persuaded women. He stood before King Agrippa once and pleaded with King Agrippa about faith in the living God, faith in Christ, in, in resurrection and in the judgment to come. And King Agrippa said, Paul, almost you persuade me to become a Christian. Paul said, not only you, O King Agrippa, but all that hear me today, I wish you were as I am, yet without these chains. Paul's life was dedicated to persuading men and women. And how, what was the source of his persuasion? His feelings, his thoughts, his traditions, his customs? No, 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 my friend. The Scriptures. The Scriptures. Because the final authority is God's Word, and it's the ultimate authority. Now listen, scholars have determined there are four primary sources of religious belief. Based on what people believe in all the religions of the world, there are four sources that establish what they believe. The first is tradition. That's the first source uh, of, uh, or basis upon which people form their belief system in life. It's based on tradition. Now, I was raised a Catholic, and after I got saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, after reading the Bible, I went to my priest. I'm not saying that this priest spoke for all priests for all time, but I went to my priest, the local priest there in Albuquerque, and I said, uh, I've got some questions. There are a lot of things that the church does that aren't in the Bible, like praying to saints. And I named several other things. And I said, could you please show me in the Bible why it is we practice these things? And he said, I can't do that. I said, well, how come? Because it's not in the Bible. I said, then why do we do it? He said, it's tradition. And I said, that's interesting. What happens if tradition violates Scripture? He paused for a moment. He thought. He said, we stand by tradition. I said, why would we do that? He said, because the ultimate authority in the Catholic Church is the Pope. I said, what? The ultimate authority is the Pope. I said, what if the Pope disagrees with the Bible? Shouldn't we believe the Bible? He said, no, we believe the Pope. Now, I'm just saying, that's what my priest told me. Because his belief system was based on tradition. The second form of beliefs that people establish what they believe on is human reasoning. Based on human intellect, based on human reasoning and human understanding. Uh, Many religions are based on human reasoning, such as the church, the Mormon church. They're based on tradition and they're based on human reasoning because they have a second book called the Book of Mormon. And much of what they teach and preach and believe is not biblical and it's contrary to scripture. And so they base what they believe on tradition, on human reasoning. Uh, the, The Church of Scientology, it's not based on scripture. It's not based on tradition. It's based on human reasoning. The third primary source of religious belief is existentialism, which basically is, if it feels good, 
do it. Why do you believe what you believe? I just, I feel as though it's right. The crystal, the light went through the crystal and illuminated my mind related to that. And so that's, that's why I believe the way I believe. Wow. Cool. Okay, so you got tradition, you got human reasoning, you have existentialism because it feels good. And finally, number four, right, you have the Holy Scriptures. So, you're smart people. If you were going to base your soul, if you were going to base eternity on a particular belief system, because every American, every human being in the world, you have a particular belief system that you base on either tradition, human reasoning, existentialism, or the Holy Scriptures. If you had a choice to, to base what you believed in the decisions you made, what would you rather have as your final authority? Tradition, human reasoning, existentialism, or the Holy Bible? All in favor of number one, raise your hand. <laughs> Peer pressure. All in favor of number two, raise your hand. Okay. All in favor of number three, raise your hand. We won't judge you. I'm sorry, I'm even laughing. I, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> all in favor of number four. <laughs> Raise your hand. Okay, you all win the prize. Uh, class is over. Go home. You all get 100. Amen. A plus. There was a mechanic. He was called to repair a uh, mechanism for a giant telescope. And uh, during lunch, he took a lunch break. He was eating, reading his Bible. And the chief astronomer walked in and said, why would you waste the time reading that? He said, uh, because it's changed my life. He said, uh, can you explain? to believe what is actually written in there. You don't even know who wrote the Bible. The mechanic was puzzled for a moment. He looked to that chief astronomer. He said, uh, do you use the multiplication table for your calculations? He said, oh, all the time. He said, that's interesting. Do you know who, do you know who wrote the multiplication table? He said, no. He said, why can you trust it? He said, because it works. He said, exactly. That's my point. The reason I trust the scriptures is because they work. So the Holy Bible was written over 1,500 years, 40 different authors, and yet it's, a, it's compiled of 66 books, but really it's one book, the Holy Book, the Holy Bible. The Bible, the term Bible means book. It's one book because it has one author. It is of supernatural origin. You can trust the Scriptures as the final and ultimate authority to what you and I should believe hope in and how we should live our life. It's what allows us to live right side up in an upside down world because, number one, scripture reading. Matter of fact, 1 Peter 1, 20 and 21, Peter said, above all, you must realize that no prophecy in scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or human reasoning or from tradition or from human initiative. No, these prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. The second internal gyroscope in us that keeps us spatially oriented in a confusing world spinning out of control is number two, Sabbath remembering. Sabbath remembering. It says in the verses that we read that Paul went three Sabbaths in a row and he reasoned from the scriptures. Three Sabbaths in a row. You know the average Christian attends church once every four weeks. Thank God you're not the average Christian. You are the MVP of Christians in Lubbock, Texas. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're not an average Christian. Go on, tell me. You're not an average Christian. But the average Christians that were in our Saturday night service, I had to hit hard on this point. Pray for them. And those that are going to be in the, not you guys though, 
you're, you're, you're the elite of the four services that we have. I, I don't know why, but, but wow, right? Wow. Listen, the average Christian comes once every four weeks. I think Paul sets the standard here. Three Sabbaths in a row. Look at what it says in Hebrews 10, 25. Matter of fact, let's read it out loud together. You should not stay away from the church meetings as some are doing, but you should meet together and encourage each other. Do this even more as you see the day coming. This is what God's Word says. And we're not smarter than God, or we're not smarter than Paul, and God needed rest on the seventh day, and we need to rest on the Sabbath day. We need to catch our breath. We need to sharpen our saw. We need to take that moment in our week so we can recalibrate our heart, mind, and soul and realign ourselves according to God's plan and purpose for our life so that we continue to be fruitful and successful. A church, a Christian without a church, that's interesting, isn't it? A Christian without, how many of you know Christians that don't attend church anymore? Raise your hand. I know Christians that don't. I know I have family members that don't attend church. I've had arguments with them. It's never good to argue. I've just stopped bringing it up altogether. Think about that. A Christian that doesn't go to church is like a student that will not go to school, like a soldier who will not join an army, like a citizen who doesn't pay his taxes or vote, like a salesman with no customers, like an explorer with no base camp, like a seaman in a ship without a crew, like a businessman on a deserted island, like an author without readers, like a football player without a team, like a scientist who doesn't share his findings, and like a bee without a hive. How many know you can be a Christian and not go to church? But it's not God's will for you to stay away from the house of God. God wants us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as some are in the habit, but all the more as we see the day of Jesus approaching. Some people say, well, you know, I just stopped, I stopped going to church. Well, why? Well, what if they had the same excuse for not going to the ball game that they have for not going to church? Why I stopped going to the ball games? Whenever I go to a game, they ask for money. The other fans don't care about me. The seats are too hard. The coach never visits me. The referee makes calls I don't agree with. Some of the games go into overtime and make me late for dinner. The band plays songs I don't know. I have other things to do at game time. My parents took me to too many games when I was growing up. I know more than the coaches do anyway. I, I can be just a, as good a fan on the lake. I won't take my kids to a game either. They must choose for themselves which teams to follow. No, my friend. Look at what it says in Luke chapter 4, verse 16. Let's read it out loud together. This is about Jesus. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. He stood up to read. See, the reason we stand up to read Scripture is because Jesus stood up to read the Scripture. And it was the custom of Jesus, it was the habit of Jesus to be in church. We need scripture reading, we need Sabbath remembering, and number three, to stay spatially oriented in a world that's spinning out of control, we need Savior receiving. We need to receive the Savior. Acts 17, 3, Paul explaining and demonstrating that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is Messiah, is Christ. The basis of Paul's message was Jesus. It's always been and always will be all about Jesus. And the heart of the message that Paul preached, it really had five components to it. Number one, Christ was God, born of a virgin Mary. Number two, Christ's earthly genealogy could be traced back to King David. Number three, his first advent or his first coming was at an appointed time according to Scripture. Number four, Christ's redemptive work 
and suffering fulfilled all the Old Testament prophecies concerning his first coming and suffering, and there were over 300 of them. It's next to impossible for any person to have fulfilled all the predictions predicted seven and 500 years before Jesus ever arrived, and yet he fulfilled every single one of them. And finally, Christ was confirmed by the signs, wonders, and various miracles that he performed according to the writer of Hebrews. So scripture reading, Sabbath remembering, Savior receiving, and finally number four, serving rejoicingly. In verse four, once again, of Acts 17, it says, and some of them were persuaded. We wish all of them would have been, but they weren't. Some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. Thank God for the people that were persuaded. Thank God for the details that Luke, Dr. Luke gives us here, that he doesn't bypass or negate the importance and the role that women have played in the ministry of Jesus from the very beginning. There were prominent, leading, influential women that joined Paul and Silas in the advancing of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, in Luke chapter 8, there were successful, wealthy women that supported the ministry of Jesus. The earthly ministry of Jesus was funded and supported by influential women. Can we thank God for all the influential women that have helped and are helping to advance the cause of Christ? God bless you. But not everyone was persuaded. Have you been persuaded? Are you serving are you serving rejoicingly? Are you a part of the dream team here at Trinity? I hope you are. I hope that we're not just consumers. We don't just simply come and take. That, that, that we're not just takers in life. We're givers. We give back. We give back. We receive, and it's more blessed to give than it is to receive, but we receive so we can give of our time, of our talent, and of our treasure. I read the news this past week that the unemployment in the United States of America is below 4%. It's right now at 3.9%. You know what that means? Every American that wants to work is working and can work. Can we thank God for a roaring economy and to God be the glory? But I was thinking about unemployment in the average church in America. It's about 80%. 80% of spiritual loafers. Not you, not you. For the other people, that's what it's going to be. It's going to, for the other people, right? In all churches, so many people just have a consumer mentality. Thank you for those of you that help and serve, whether it's once a week, twice, once every two weeks, or even once a month. However you do, special Love Lubbock outreaches like the last one that we had, our to our race, however you participate, thank you. May you and I continue to be persuaded to be on Team Jesus, to continue to do our part, using our skills, talents, and abilities to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ in our city, in our community, in our state, and around the world. These are the things that will keep us spatially oriented in a world that's spinning out of control, to make sure that we are right side up in our thinking, in our finances, in our marriages, in our, in our motives, in our thoughts, in our philosophies, in our decisions, and in our choices that we make, right side up, in an upside down world. And it's not going to be easy. But what can corrupt our internal gyroscope? Two things, spitefulness and senselessness. First of all, spitefulness. 
Once again, in verse 5 of Acts 17, it says, But the Jews who were not persuaded became envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace, oh, wow, and gathered a mob and set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. Not all were persuaded, unfortunately. And there are people who are envious. There are people who are filled with envy, filled with spite, and they stir up a mob. It's a dangerous trend in our country. There's one thing to have a lawful and peaceful protest uh, based on uh, a just, righteous cause. It's another thing for a bunch of evil people to gather together in a spirit of anarchy and rebellion to try to pull down the system that's holding all things together. You have to be careful to not join the mob mentality. Raldo Walt Emerson in his essay, Self-Reliance, he said, there's a time in every man's education when he arrives at the conviction that envy is ignorance, that imitation is suicide. That envy is ignorance and imitation is suicide. Psalm 26, 5, it says, I have hated the mob of evildoers and will not sit with wicked people. And then it says in Mark chapter 15, in verse 11, concerning Jesus, it says, but at this point the chief priests whipped up the mob to demand the release of Barabbas instead of Jesus. Someone once said, a mob is a monster with many hands and no brains. We must not allow our internal gyroscope to be corrupted by spitefulness and then finally by senselessness. Once again, verse 6 of Acts 17, but when they did not find them, they were looking for Paul and Silas, but they had escaped. Poor Jason, who was housing Paul and Silas, dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, these who have turned the world upside down have come here. Well, they weren't turning the world upside down. They were trying to turn the world right side up. And when you do that, you will feel the wrath and the displeasure of the world. Dr. James Montgomery Boyce, in his commentary, he gives illumination to the Greek word that is used here concerning they that have turned the world upside down. One translation uses the word upset. They that are upsetting the world have come here also. They found an ancient letter in antiquity that was, get this, written by a teenager to his mother about his father. And in this ancient letter of antiquity, the son says about his father not letting him go to Alexandria. He says, Father has upset me. That word upset is the same word here used for turn upside down. You know, the way the world looks at how you live your life and how you conduct your life, as though you are upsetting the apple cart, as though you're bringing, you're upsetting the temperament. And they have all types of labels for people like you. All types of hatred and persecution that's leveled your way because they don't understand what you and I understand. They're flying upside down and the plane is headed the nations of the world, it's on a collision course with the ground. It's going to crash and burn. Matter of fact, according to the true teachings of Scripture, this might make you feel uncomfortable. 
No nation will be spared in the last days of God's judgment. The ship is going to sink. The plane is going to crash. All we can do is give people a parachute so they could jump off safely and not burn and crash as this world comes to a screeching halt. It's upside down. And the only way you're going to be changed to live right side up in an upside down world is if you surrender your life to Jesus. That's what happened to all of us that are Christians, right? <laughs> when Jesus found me, my life was upside down. Your life was upside down. And he comes, and he comes into our heart, and he changes our heart, and he takes out a heart of stone, and he puts in a heart of flesh, and all of a sudden our life is turned right side up. And like one of our members in the classic service said, God wants your life like this cup right side up because he wants to fill it up to the overflowing. What a beautiful description the psalmist tells us about God's plan and purpose for your life, that your cup may run over, that your life may be full and overflowing with God's love and God's grace and God's peace and God's mercy. And you're saying, is it true? Can it happen? Yes. Based on what authority? Based on what you're saying? Based on what you're experiencing? No. Based on what God's Word has said for thousands of years. Heaven and earth will pass away, but not one word will pass away until all be fulfilled. Yeah. I can base what I believe on experience now because I have first based it on Scripture. And my experience says, just like that mechanic of the telescope told the chief astronomer, I can trust it because I know it works. Let it work in your life. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we humbly come before you in the name of Jesus. We thank you that in a world that is literally spinning out of control, where people are losing their way day after day, and it seems as though it's getting worse and worse. Thank you that we can maintain our spatial orientation. We know who we are. We know where we're going. We know how to get there because we're following the leading of the Holy Spirit and the teaching of the Holy Scriptures. I pray your grace and mercy. People whose cups may be upside down in their thinking, in their lifestyle, in their identity, in their marriages, in their relationship, in their finances, in every area of their life, Lord, that you would turn that cup right now right side up and begin to fill it to the overflow of your mercy and of your grace. Now, with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can know him, my friend. He's standing at the door of your heart, knocking, and if you will hear his voice and open up the door of your heart, Christ will come into you, and he'll change your life from the inside out. If you need to rededicate your life to Jesus, I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer out loud with the rest of us. Say it with your own mouth. Mean it from your own heart. Here we go. Dear God in heaven, I know I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. There's only one Savior. His name is Jesus. I call upon you, Jesus. I ask you now, Come into my heart, come into my life, be my Lord and be my Savior. I turn from sin to the true and living God. I receive his love, his grace, and his forgiveness. Dear God in heaven, you're now my father and I am your child. Fill me now with your Holy Spirit. Give me strength to live for you, serve you, 
all the days of my life, beginning today for the rest of eternity. And thank you, Father, I can live right side up in an upside down world. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Can we thank the Lord together, church family?